Hey, consider this listeners, it's Ari Shapiro, and I know the news has been a little heavy lately, so to offer you a break, we have an episode from our friends at the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. Every year, they look back at their favorite moments in TV, movies, and music, stuff they found inspiring and comforting during another challenging year. Hosts Stephen Thompson and Linda Holmes take it from here. Every December, as the last pages of the calendar float to the floor, we like to look back on some of our very favorite things. We'll talk about the television, movies, and music that thrilled us, moved us, and kept us company in our best and worst moments. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. And today on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about our favorite things of the year. Joining us today from his home studio is Glenn Weldon of NPR's Culture Desk. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. And also here from her home on the West Coast is Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Hello, Linda. Well, I want to say first that uh, I don't know if pages of calendars float to the floor anymore. I don't know yeah. if, you, uh, <laughs> if, if people still do that, but uh, it is the end of the year and we are not going to do any messing around. We are going to get right to it. I am going to go first to Glenn. You have something you want to share. Yeah, it's a moment from a show called Succession on HBO. (laughs) Heard of it? Uh, It's kind of a critical darling. Every Sunday night, it drives conversations on one very thin slice of Twitter, so it it can make it seem like it's a bigger hit than I think it might actually be. Uh, It's about, of course, a family of awful people who run an awful organization, an awful corporation. I keep proselytizing about it because there are times I'll admit that I get what the naysayers about this show are saying. I delay watching episodes uh, because I might not be in the mood for the dyspeptic churn of it all sometimes. But then a moment like this one I'm about to highlight comes along. It's from the fourth episode of season three, when the character of Tom Wamsgams, played by Matthew McFadden, gets to give a little speech to his wife Shiv, played by Sarah Snook. He is thinking he's going to be a kind of corporate scapegoat. He's going to be the public face of a scandal facing the organization. And he's thinking that he's going to go to prison. Now, he's volunteered for that, but now it's starting to hit home. He's doing research about prison life. And this is what he has to say. So I did a bit of research and I got deep into the prison blogs again. Oh, You know, honey. about toilet wine. And it turns out you can make it from fruit and ketchup, but you have to, you have to burp the wine bag as it ferments. And I thought, what if I forget to burp the toilet wine? But the truth is, I'm not... What if I forget to burp the toilet wine is when I stood up on my couch and thought, okay, this show is for me. Not just in... I like this show. But this show is for me as in I feel targeted. I feel seen (laughs) by this show. And I love it. It's one of those moments when the writing and the performance work not just in tandem, but in synergy. There is something special about that moment for me. It's the guy's Emmys clip. Guaranteed. I'm just picturing Glenn sitting on his couch watching that moment and looking just like that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio when he's pointing and <laughs> his mouth is a game. That's exactly. It's from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's me. Yeah. Pointing, pointing, pointing. And before that, he says he has this whole thing about cold white wine, how much he likes cold white wine the first when he gets home from work. And it's like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Glenn Weldon. Aisha Harris, what is your first pick? Well, I'll turn us to a different HBO show. Um, This is a Black Lady sketch show, which Mm -hmm. is a really funny sketch show that I think has kind of flown under the radar. But if you know, you know. And season two aired earlier this year. The show, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with it, it is created by Robin Thede. And it features all Black women just commenting on so many different things about Black culture, about social media, about just 
our culture at large. And I think it got really, really smart this season in terms of um, pinpointing some very specific things when it comes to Black culture, especially. The clip I want to point to, it involves a debate, um, two women on each team. And the final question of this debate is, which movie should Denzel Washington have won an Oscar for? The two teams have to make their case for the movie that Denzel Washington, who has two Oscars, but, you know, he's he's a amazing performer. He is a legendary performer. He is Denzel. We just know him as Denzel. And so they are trying to argue for which performance uh, he should have won for. And I especially love this moment from Ashley Nicole Black. I want you to just listen to it. Okay, what's the one with, with the racism? Remember the Titan? No, racism plus mustache. Come on, you know it. Remember we watched it at your house at the time and we had to babysit your little cousin because her daddy was going to be home late for work and we was eating bagel bites and we was watching a movie and I was watching and I was like, damn, Denzel look mad fine in these post-war clothes. Remember? Ow! Devil in a blue dress. So I just love it because, I mean, I knew what it was, but it's fun to hear her describe it. (laughs) And it's like the movie with the racism. It's like, that could have been any movie. It could have been been Glory, which he won the the Oscar for. It could have been The Great Debate. Like, there's so many movies. (laughs) And I just really, I, I, I encourage everyone to seek out a Black Lady Sketch show in general because, you know, with sketch shows, there's often hits or misses. And and I think that this show is batting a higher average than uh, the average sketch show. Most of the sketches really work. And even when they don't, you at least see that they're trying to do something interesting or provide interesting commentary. So my first pick is a Black Lady Sketch Show. You can find it streaming on HBO Max. Thank you very much, Aisha Harris. All right, Stephen, you uh, have chosen first something that I also enjoyed that we talked about. Yeah, I think when we look back on this era in history, specifically the pandemic and the lockdown, we're going to be looking for certain pieces of culture that really captured that moment. And I don't think any piece of culture that I have seen so far has captured the moment quite as effectively as Bo Burnham's Inside on Netflix. Bo Burnham is a comedian, an actor, a filmmaker, a former YouTube star. And so he made Inside entirely inside his house during lockdown. And it's full of funny and silly songs, but also uh, a lot of ache and worry and uh, spiraling and darkness. And it adds up to this really fascinating viewing experience. And, you know, we're talking on this show about moments. And the moment from this show that I have probably picked over more than any other over and over again is this moment from a song called White Woman's Instagram. He starts out by just laying out cliches from the Instagram pages of white women. And so he's he's kind of just teasing, like, here's this throw pillow with a saying on it, and here's this perfectly lit picture of my face. And so he's doing this thing where he's kind of lightly mocking the tropes of Instagram feeds. And then you get to this interlude. Still figuring out how to keep living without you. It's got a little better, but it's still hard. Mama, I got a job I love in my own apartment. Mama, I got a boyfriend and I'm crazy about him. Your little girl didn't do too bad. Mama, I love you. Give a hug and kiss to dad. A goat cheese. Now, <laughs> if you could hear what he said as that clip trailed off. It was a goat cheese salad (laughs) and then uh, a backlit hammock, a simple glass of wine. So he's set up this song that is 
kind of a breakdown of what a very basic Instagram page looks like. But then there's a breakdown in the song where suddenly the woman he is channeling is paying tribute to her late mother. And I, it is such a Rorschach test, what, like listening to the way that breaks down, because it is very emotional and very sad and very beautiful. But it is also mocking the way that we package our grief in such a digestible way. Mm-hmm. And so to me, he is finding this remarkable moment of empathy in the song, but empathy and mockery are orbiting each other like a binary star. And you can see it as like looking at these kind of public performative expressions of grief and how they all start to blur together. I'm so fascinated by how sophisticated that song is while also mocking people's Instagram feeds, which is just the easiest, biggest, fattest, juiciest target imaginable. There's just that turn in the song that is shocking. Yeah, I think I've definitely heard the complaints from people who find this to be both ultimately a guy being very unkind about the creative pursuits of women and also a guy who's trying a little bit to distance himself from whiteness in a way that maybe is not successful. But I agree with you, Stephen, that I think what makes it effective is that turn into, you know, the recognition that there's also some shared humanity in those kinds of Instagram feeds, despite their cliches. So my first pick, look, you know, uh, the second season of Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus, some people didn't like. I happened to love uh, this season. To me, the first season of Ted Lasso uh, set up a a very wonderful but somewhat simple um, dynamic of this kind of bumbling coach who comes in and impresses everybody and everybody learns that they really can trust him. And in the second season, they did a lot more to explain that Ted's relentless positivity, he's a, a soccer coach who was an American football coach and went over to become uh, a soccer coach, a football coach in the in the UK. And I think his relentless positivity, is something that they interrogated very effectively in the second season. And sometimes in order to do that, you actually have to go ahead and introduce a psychological professional. And that is what they did. They brought in a therapist, a specialist therapist who was going to work with the team. And her name is Sharon Fieldstone. She's played by the wonderful Sarah Niles. And she is one of my favorite additions to any cast in any second season ever which I think is particularly impressive given how strong that ensemble was in the first season. You know, for the most part, she is very, she's somewhat personally withholding with Ted, which is hard for him because he wants to go in and be everyone's friend and she wants to maintain her professionalism. And then there's a moment where she has a bicycle accident and he is the one who winds up getting called to the hospital to help her out, and I want to play a little bit of that. Take you home right now. Oh, he's not my husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't no ring on these fingers. <laughs> no, we're just friends. Colleagues. Eh, friendly colleagues. I don't have a husband. Yeah, but not in a sad way. You know, she's just fiercely independent. See what I mean? Uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Fieldstone? Hospital policy states that head trauma patients, they cannot leave unattended. Let me help you out with that, sweetheart. Yeah. Thank you. I... I love this episode because it complicates this relationship between the two of them. And I love the way that they opened up this character who seemed a little bit, you know, who literally began as a joke in a commercial um, in a bunch of NBC sports commercials and has has become this really complicated dude. And I really admire the way they did that. And I loved this season and I am 100 percent pro Ted Lasso season two. 
Um, Glenn, I'm going to go to you for your next pick. Lay it on me. Okay. The show The Other Two on HBO Max, it's a joke factory, and I love that, but it also has a very lived-in, very knowing sense of humor about uh, queer life, and I love that. In the second episode of season two, which is a kind of modern-day farce, uh, the character of Carrie, played by Drew Tarver, and his new boyfriend, Jess, played by Gideon Glick, are settling into a very safe vanilla basic kind of relationship they end up meeting this other gay couple who are pretending to be father and son so they can go on drew's mother's morning talk show follow me here and have the quote-unquote son played by noah galvin come out to his quote-unquote father played by tuck watkins so they can take home a twenty-five thousand dollar prize so despite the two of them engaging in errant fraud uh this twink and daddy couple are shown to be much more sex positive and healthy and communicative and just happier than Drew and Jess are because Drew and Jess are striving for this very complete heteronormative existence. And that is just fascinating for me to see and bracing for me to see. And then when uh, Drew and Jess interrupt the twink and the daddy at a restaurant just a few minutes after the twink and daddy have gone on Grindr to find a third dude to take back to their hotel, the twink and the daddy then have to continue to pretend to be father and son because Drew and Jess think they are. And it's Drew's mother's talk show. So this clip picks up when the dad sees the third guy, who's played by the very funny Noam Ash, uh, approaching the restaurant and goes out and says, okay, I'll pay you if you just say that you're my son, you're straight, and you're from Kansas. I'm his son, I'm straight, and I'm from Kansas. Yeah, yeah, cool. What's Kansas like? Uh, You have a girlfriend there? Yeah. She has uh, long hair and red nails. Expert girlfriend have her right there. (laughs) Expert girlfriend have her. Who among us? (laughs) What a great show and what a great moment and what a great episode. Really, that episode works and we haven't even talked about uh, any of the other plot threads of that particular episode, which are also just as fun. So that is The Other Two. It is streaming on HBO Max. Aisha, speaking of things that you love, you have another pick for us. Yes, yes. Uh, Do y'all know Trish? Trish (laughs) is a woman you can count on. Trish, at Christmas, forget it. She's buying gifts for everyone. Uh, So I loved Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar a lot. Uh I think it was a movie that more people need to see. I'm basically picking things that, like, we didn't cover in full on PCHH. um, And I want to make sure that people find out about. And so... I, I highly recommend everyone go check it out. It's streaming on Hulu now. But what I love about Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, which is about two middle-aged women from Nebraska, played by Annie Mumolo, who plays Barb, and Kristen Wiig, who plays Star. Um, Kristen Wiig also plays a few other characters as well. Um, but they decide to leave Nebraska, go on a girl's trip to Vista Del Mar in Florida. And on the way to Vista Del Mar on the plane, they concoct this very elaborate narrative about a woman named Trish, a woman that we they don't know, but she exists. And so they list off all these things that she is. This is a like minute and a half-ish long gag that just keeps going and going in the best way possible and getting more and more ridiculous with each moment. And you realize once you've watched the film that there is a payoff towards the the end of the whole Trish story. But I want to hear just this banter that I think is just so emblematic of the whole movie itself and the the real chemistry that Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo have as these characters. Really? Trish loses one of her ears in a twister, but not her hearing. She's a storm chaser. Her mom does not want her to be. Well, their relationship is tough. Mm. 
Trish has always wanted to be a portrait photographer. She loves people. She would always say, a person's face is a lot about how they look. Oh, it's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> I, it's just, it's so absurd. A person's face says a lot about how they look. <laughs> yep. Yep. Show me the lie. There's just so many great fun gags in this movie that I think you, it, it's definitely the type of movie where you want to rewatch because you might not miss them all. It also features a great performance by J.B. Dornan, a.k.a you know, Fifty Shades of Grey guy, but here he's getting to do his, like, Chris Hemsworth in Ghostbusters. Like, he kind of is that Mm -hmm. sort of the guy who, the hunky guy who, turns out, he's quite funny, actually. And so I... I just love this movie so much and I love Trish and I want to meet Trish and it's it's just great. So that is Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. It's streaming on Hulu. I'm so glad you picked it, Aisha, because we didn't get a chance to give this movie the love it deserves. Uh, and I had it on my list. And I'm, well, as soon as I saw you had it, I, I crossed it oh, off perfect. because I, my way in was slightly differently. It was uh, Jamie Dornan's calves, but, you know, <laughs> it made the list. That's the important thing. Thank you very much, Aisha Harris. Stephen Thompson, you have a musical selection for us, as you are wont to do. Yeah, well, speaking of entertainers who had very, very good years, the R&B singer Jasmine Sullivan put out one of the best records of 2021. It was actually NPR Music's pick for the album of the year. And I can't really argue with that. It is called Ho-Tales, and that's H-E-A-U-X. And it is kind of a concept album uh, built around interviews with women uh, with varying perspectives on sex and sexuality and class and race. And it weaves in these interviews as interludes and then weaves songs around them. My favorite song on this record is called The Other Side. And if you look at it from how it starts, it's a very simple concept. It is a poor woman who wants to be rich, and her dream is to marry a rapper and move to Atlanta and, and you know, kind of goes through that whole thing. And you think this is a song about the pursuit of wealth and the dream of wealth. And then it hits the bridge and takes a turn that just really blew me away. Let's hear it. All of a sudden, in this song, as she's laying out what she wants, she hits the lines, Be a damn good housewife, two kids from a surrogate, fly mama, I'm a stay fit, getting facelifts. And all of a sudden, you realize that to preserve the fantasy she has laid out for herself, she knows she's going to have to make compromises to perpetuate it. All of my picks today are moments of empathy that surprised me in songs. And this one, you realize just how sophisticated a project this is. An album just full of of moments like that. Jasmine Sullivan's album, Hotels, and particularly this song, The Other Side. All right. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. I want to talk about a movie that I did not think enough people saw this year, speaking of kind of what Aisha was talking about. (laughs) This movie is called Plan B. It is available on Hulu, and it's sort of like one of those out-all-night friends stories, kind of like, you know, book smart. It features these two high school students. One is Sunny, and she's played by Kuhu Verma. The other one is uh, Lupe, played by Victoria Morales. And Sunny has her first sexual encounter right at the beginning of the movie. None of this is spoilers. 
It's very uninspiring and unhappy even before she figures out she's had a birth control mishap and she's afraid that she's pregnant. And so she goes and attempts to get plan B at her pharmacy, but the pharmacist refuses to give it to her for reasons of his moral judgment um, of whether she should be able to have it. She and so Sonny and Lupe set out for a Planned Parenthood clinic that they hope will be able to provide her with plan B. I was amazed by this movie in terms of how funny and silly and sometimes very raunchy it is. I will warn you, very raunchy. If you're thinking, maybe I'll watch this with my 12-year-old, just <laughs> like nothing in it is bad for them, but it will uh, give you that moment of like, hmm. <laughs> but I was shocked how well it accomplished that. But also, it is this incredibly insightful film, I think, about sexuality and the fear of pregnancy for a girl like Sunny. There's a great examination of how she sees this bad sex very differently from the boy who was involved. Because to him, it's all about how do I feel morally about the fact that we did this? How do I feel ethically? Like maybe this is something I shouldn't have done, like from an emotional perspective. And she, in the meantime, is dealing with this massive logistical problem on top of whatever feeling she has about it. I just was amazed, absolutely amazed by the way that this movie balanced those two things, these very serious topics at this time when, you know, reproductive health and reproductive care are so much in the news. The fact that it balanced that topic with so much good humor and so much good energy and everybody in this movie is terrific. I love this movie. Again, it's on Hulu and it's called Plan B. Also uh, directed by uh, the lovely actress, uh, Natalie Morales. Ah, so um, nice. Love her. Very excited about that one. Want everybody to watch it. Glenn, you also chose something from a movie as your third and final pick. Yep. The Power of the Dog is Jane Campion's latest film. We already did an episode about it. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is this malevolent, homophobic presence, uh, a rancher on a ranch in Montana in the 1920s. And Cody Smith-McPhee is this kind of cultured teenage kid who comes to the ranch and becomes Cumberbatch's uh, target in a host of ways. Uh, and at the time we talked about this, I picked out a moment that, you know, a thing that Benedict Cumberbatch does early in the film, as soon as he senses the presence of the kid, there's a look that he gets on his face. That's very telling. I want to talk about another look on another face, which is not a particularly podcast friendly thing to do, but uh, <laughs> bear with me. Uh, late in the movie, something happens that abruptly changes how Cumberbatch approaches this kid, who he continues to regard as soft, you know, in his words, as a sissy. But he, now he seems to be taking the kid under his wing for some reason, wants to teach him the ways of the men of the ranch. And I'll just say it's unclear as we're watching what's really going on here. And it's also unclear if Cumberbatch's character realizes why he's switched his approach to the boy. Um, they're out on their own. They're resting in the shade of a rock. And the kid seems to open up to Cumberbatch's character. He used to worry I wasn't kind enough, that I was too strong. You? Too strong? They got that wrong. Poor kid. After Cumberbatch says, poor kid, there is a look that passes across Cody Smith-McPhee's features. And you note it as it's happening, but only later do you recognize it for what it is. It's a, it's a kind of a quiet strength. It's a kind of resolve in that look. And it's also something that Cumberbatch's character could not and does not recognize. Right. That look is one of many reasons 
this film ends up being about much more than it seems to be at first and why I think this film works as well as it does. That's uh, Power of the Dog by Jane Campion, which is in theaters and also streaming on Netflix. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to talk about that one because I was on vacation, but that movie is so good. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah, it, is. it is so good. It is so creepy and it is so good. And <laughs> I'm glad we got to talk about that. All right, Aisha, third and final pick. Uh, well, Who Among Us hasn't been, you know, in college or just out of college, stuck at a family party dinner or whatever, and having to field all these questions from your parents' friends um, about what you're doing, what's your major, what's your plan. And ooh, it is a nightmare. It is a horror show. <laughs> and the reason it's one of the many reasons that I love the movie Shiva Baby, which is a fun but also very scary uh, short movie about a young woman named Danielle, played by Rachel Sennett, who is back home. Uh, she is going to a shiva for a family friend. Uh, her life is at a crossroads. She has a sugar daddy, <laughs> um, and she also has an ex-girlfriend who all converge at this shiva unexpectedly. And the whole movie is about her. It all takes place more or less in real time. And it's about her sort of navigating this world where both her sugar daddy and her ex are at this shiva. And she's also having to deal with her parents and the fact that they worry that she's not going to be able to get a job. And what I love about this scene in particular that I want to point to is the way in which at the shiva, there is a baby. There is a screaming baby. And the screaming baby appears throughout the, the movie adding a layer of menace and ominousness and just like overall like anxiety to the film. And so we're going to hear that happening while uh, Danielle is fielding all these really just annoying questions from <laughs> a family well, friend. I don't think you know the places. Do you still make those little videos? I always thought those were so fun. I haven't done one in a while. So acting is still your goal. No, it's like comedy, stand up. What was your major again, sweetie? No, no, she doesn't have a major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also as someone who is a theater major in college, I I had to feel those questions of like, so what are you gonna do exactly with that major? Like acting? Ooh, okay. Um, I I just love this, and it was actually so the director and the writer is Emma Seligman. She is in her mid to late twenties now. This was her. It started off as her NYU thesis, and. For a person so young, I'm just really in awe of the sort of craft that went into creating this um, very tense movie that is also very, very funny in many ways. And like I said, this it, it is a comedy, but it definitely has all of the horror notes. You hear those planks, which remind me of like any A24, you know, <laughs> horror movie. <laughs> it reminds me of The Witch. And I highly recommend checking out Shiva Baby. It's streaming on HBO Max. And it's also about 90 minutes or just under 90 minutes. So it's like an easy pop it in and it's done. Like just great, great pacing throughout the film. Very good. Thank you very much, Aisha. Shiva Baby available on HBO Max. When we come around to these favorites, I always try to look for the art that I thought was the most skilled, the um, performances that I thought were the most uh, nuanced, but I also try to leave room for uh, whatever absolutely punched me in the gut the most and made me have the most feelings. And this year, that was the movie CODA. CODA is an abbreviation that stands for Child of Deaf Adults. It's about a girl named Ruby, played by Amelia Jones, who is the only hearing person in her family. 
And she has her parents and her brother, and she live in this fishing town, kind of, and the brother and the father work on a fishing boat. She works with them. She does a lot of interpreting for her family because she is a hearing person. She becomes kind of a conduit between the rest of her family and the world of hearing people who refuse to learn any other way of communicating with them other than through Ruby. So she becomes interested in music and she becomes interested in going to music school. And the question kind of arises, can she really leave? And does she really want to leave? Because it's going to put her family in some ways in a difficult position if she leaves home. I loved this movie so much. I think the dynamics of her family are so interesting. Her mother is played by the great and good Marley Matlin. Uh, Her father is played by uh, Troy Kotzer. Mm -hmm. I think this movie is so, such a wonderful fat pitch down the middle of the plate for a person like me who loves a family (laughs) movie, loves a fishing town, loves a music movie, loves a movie with an inspiring music teacher. Um, So that's Coda. You can watch it on Apple TV+. Uh, Steven, bring us home with your last pick. All right. Well, I've got something that's just perfect for Glenn. Uh, it's a song with uh, it's spoken word oh boy. Uh, with a saxophone. <laughs> so, Glenn, I can see you being on board. I was skeptical, too. But this song absolutely blew me away. It's by a singer named Cassandra Jenkins, and it's called Hard Drive. And in the song, she has a series of conversations. And the first is with a security guard and then a bookkeeper and then a friend who's been teaching her how to drive. And then she runs into a friend at a party who sees her and says to her, oh dear, I can see you've had a rough few months, but this year it's going to be a good one. And then basically the song functions as the pep talk we didn't realize we needed. Let's hear a little bit of it. I'll count to three and tap your shoulder. We're going to put your heart back together. So all those little pieces they took from you, they're coming back now. They'll miss them too. So close your eyes. I'll count to three. Have you ever talked to a friend and the friend says, how are you? And that makes you burst into tears. Yes. And you had absolutely no idea that you had that emotion welling up without realizing it. This song, for whatever reason, unlocks and unleashes that feeling of like, I really didn't know I needed to take a minute. And there's something about this song. It brings this deep, deep well of empathy and understanding and kindness. And there's something just very forgiving about this song. If I need to recenter myself, this song has worked so wonderfully for it. And it really adds up, you know, to just deeper points about life. I, I love it dearly. It's from an album called An Overview on Phenomenal Nature, which is actually a quote from this song. Uh, again, the song is called Hard Drive. It's by Cassandra Jenkins. It's one of my favorite songs of the year. That is so cool, Thompson. I've never heard that before, and I would not have heard it had you not brought it to me as one of your favorite things of the year. Well, we want to know about your favorite things from the year. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH and on Twitter at PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much to all of you for being here to talk about your favorites. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 